The path beyond the gate was made of smooth, crafted stone. It reminded me of Marhau, the streets back home where I took long walks beneath pale blue skies. But this street was dark, held under by a suffocating empty that offered no heaven or hope. It went ahead for a tireless distance, always out of reach of my torch. I was a single star, surrounded by pitiless night. I had gone not half a mile, by my reckoning, when there came from afar the sound of a bell tolling, long and loud, three times true and four more echoed. I had not the faintest idea what such a warning might mean in far Ostwich. Was it the hour? Was it a warning of a near dawn? Perhaps it was something more dire. Several steps more I took when I heard again the sound of the bell. This time, however, it came not from the distance, but near at hand, soft and shallow, like the muffled shouting of an arguing man heard from behind a door. It told three times, but there were no echoes beneath it, only a weighty quiet. When it ended, I saw, for the briefest moment, a flash of white light somewhere far away, making an outline of sharp, pointed buildings and wild, rambling iron that made the city. Not long enough to understand the layout, I fear, but enough to hold my eye for a long while. Then another burst of white came from my left, this one hidden well beyond sight, for I caught only the faintest gray eddies that washed over my way. My heart stopped cold. In the quickly fading shade, I beheld up high, peering down over cracked roof slats, a watching figure. I dare not say it was living, for I fear my soul could not withstand, but I could imagine no statue which even the strangest man might set in such a place. Certainly not one with endless eyes so carefully detailed about its round head. Panic pushed me into gear, and I stepped lively down the road. I did not run. Whatever specters may haunt the rooftops, they had not accosted me yet, and as I had with my mimicking shadow, I would play the longest game, hoping for a similar, victorious end. For some time I went, my heels the only sound in the world. Now and then my torch would catch the glass of a hidden window, shrouded behind heavy curtains, and I at one point swear I saw a watching face from beyond such a portal but I dared not stop to look. There were no more white flashes for the night, yet I could not convince myself if it was a blessing or a curse, for the light of the torch did not reach the high rooftops, ending only just above the second-story windows which went on endlessly. Finally, after much walking and much more worry, I came to a place where the houses on my left broke apart, becoming another wide road that went in towards another part of Ostwich. There, at last, I did linger, for my friendly window guide had told me I would find such signs as were needed, and indeed there were signs, or so I thought them to be. In chalk the color of ash, set upon a red brick wall, I saw a drawn figure of a ship with open sails, and at its fore a pointing shape of a gull, beak turned to the inner road. I admit, listener, that never before have I taken my orders from a wall. In that hour, I chose to do so. I had gone for some time, long enough that the ashen ship had been nearly forgotten, when I heard another toll of bells rise. It was stronger now, nearer, 
a clear bronze with a high-pitched tail that lingered in my ears. I expected four strikes, as was the manner of things in all right places of the world. But the bell came only twice, and then ended. Silence rushed in. Nothing followed. Perturbed, but not entirely lost, I halted there on the street and waited, for who knew if another flash of pale light would come? Perhaps my path would be revealed to me then, though I did dread what might be looking down from the heights. But no light came. Darkness settled in, a permanent guest, and my eager waiting turned to anxious watching. Then a sound broke the quiet. Two bells. Two echoing, muffled, all-too-near bells. Two strikes, one upon another, coming from just above my head. Panic ensued, and in the rush I forgot nearly all my friendly window had told me of this strange night. I ran. I ran forward with all the wings terror might give, until my heart beat louder than any bells ever could, and my lungs ached with need for air. Still I ran. I did not stop. I did not halt. I turned neither left nor right and dared not lift my eyes to see what followed. Streets came and went. I tried as I could to gather what lie beyond them, but the first I passed only ruptured what little courage remained. I saw, in a fleeting orange light, a shape retreat into the dark of a wayward road. Something long and lithe, with toes that scraped the stone with iron nails. Had there been another ashen sign there? Another path for me to follow? I could not know. My feet would not allow me to stop, though my lungs were quickly presenting counter-arguments to be considered. So lost was I in terror that I do not think I noticed the first sound of a haunting song that came up out of the far city. It was distant, barely more than the aftermath of a struck chord, but eventually it found a way into my horrified ears, and the melody slowed my step to that of a brisk walk. I was dazed. My eyes tingled with black dots and swirling nothing, threatening to drop where I stood no matter how deeply I inhaled. Under me, my legs wavered, suddenly lost of the adrenaline that drove them, and now realizing they were not cut out for such work. I stopped at last and fell to a knee, hoping a brief respite might bring me back to a place of vigor. Only when I had rested a moment, focusing on the flicker of the torch, did I begin to hear the song which had interrupted my frightful travel. It was a wailing, drawn thing. A single note stretched over the entirety of a verse, scratching through the alleys and over homes to fill every corner of my street. A thought came to me as I listened. Had the windowed lady not warned me of something similar? No. She had called my watch to someone crying, if I remember right. Though, as I lingered and listened, it struck me that such a sound could indeed be a cry, if one had the belly for such a long and painful note. It came without ceasing, shifting in pitch by only the faintest waves, like still waters of a pond pushed gently by a breeze. The longer I listened, the more I beheld foulness and its sound. A gritty, piercing floor held it aloft, something I did not notice at first, but now that I heard it, I could not think of as anything but the shout of a man deep in his despair. 
For a time, I debated what to do. I could not stay there in the road, that much my windowed lady had been clear on, but I was certain she had warned me of such crying people ere I left her sill, and I had quite forgotten if there was a plan to follow. I resolved soon to press forward, but that I should turn to the right if I found another crossroad. If the road I was currently on led to the center of the city, and I should note, I had no idea if it did, then the sound of the cries must have come from the very middle of it all. I would dare a side street, maps, markings, or no, if only to be away from that wretched, crawling note. It did not take long to reach the next crossroad. It was only a few houses down. But alas, listener, when I arrived, I indeed found an ashen marker. Only this marker was on the very road I traveled, being that of a ship's captain with his hand outstretched, pointing down the same path I wished nothing more than to be off of. I thought, for a moment, that I might ignore the sign. After all, harbor or no, and I was increasingly skeptical there was a harbor in the center of the city, would it be of any real aid if I ran headlong into the creeping whale? Yet, as I thought to turn, I caught in my ear that the crying horror had changed, where before it seemed only to be ahead of me, far in the black sky, now I heard it rising from all sides, pushing out of every side street and cracked brick. It was still loudest in the direction I walked, but no longer was I sure I would be free if I turned aside. Another bell rang out. A single, terrible gong. This one I heard as clearly as if I stood at the foot of its church, and for a brief respite the wailing cry halted. Silence filled. Then, far away, I heard another muffled bell echo, one single, solitary strike. It sounded far away this time, no longer hanging over my head, and I realized then that whatever creature had stirred me had itself decided against going on the way I chose. That did not comfort me, though, for now I feared only another, greater danger lie in wait a danger even stalking bells did not care to contend with. On the last gasp of the echoing bell, the wailing cries returned. They filled every street now. Turning would be of no help. I cursed aloud to the dark, doubtful anyone could hear me over the clamor, and ground my heel into the stone. My strength had mostly returned as I waited and listened. I had one last gasp in me. Leaving aside the crossroads, I rushed on into the dark. The crying note drew nearer, piercing now, even to my bones, like shards of glass beneath my skin. The stones at my feet began to shake, though I admit now it may have been fear causing it to be so, not a true act of the earth. I was running headlong into the night with no idea and no hope of what I would find, and every step brought painfully nearer the now shrill tone that filled the air. Suddenly, a white light bloomed before me. Ahead, perhaps three houses or four, something like a lantern, but lit silver as the moon, burst up and into the sky. Beneath it, in sharp relief, stood a single man, dressed in robes of black and red, with the hat of a holy man on his head. He was staring up towards the light, a grim look on his face. Beyond the man, clambering down the road, and lit now as a horde of rumbling limbs and clustered flesh, was a muster of creatures I had seen never before, nor wished to ever see again. 
They were thin and frail, entirely naked, built like men who have gone too long without nourishment. Their bellies were distended and their limbs were weak, but their heads, oh, listener, their heads. Atop a post-like neck sat something akin to the bulb of a plant, only split down the middle and open wide in a maw of gaping, razor teeth. Within the maw, a throat of red and black undulated the wailing, horrible chorus. These were certainly the criers, and I was nearly upon them. Help! I cried to the man standing lonely where the light was quickly fading. In the last glance of silver, he turned and saw me, and then Black Knight returned. I ran on, pressing for the last memory my eyes could find of that face, and I nearly screamed when he suddenly appeared, leaping out of the dark and into my orange light. Come quickly, he demanded, reaching out a hand. I took it and he led me on. The cries were a raging sea now, a tempest on the doorstep, ready to sweep me away. The man brought me to a door of iron and oak, the front porch of a church, or so it seemed. He swung it inward and pulled me with him, and when we both were over the threshold, he turned and put his weight behind the door. It groaned slowly closed, an agonizing pace, though it had no doubt been ordinary and my mind only frazzled. Before the last gasp of night was closed off, I saw a single, pale blue hand with eight bony, mangled fingers reach over the sliver of space. Then it was gone. The door was shut.